Diane Dinopoli is here. The name of the book, The Great Penguin Rescue, which is very dramatic. She is, in fact, an expert on penguins. Hi, Diane. Hi. I think that's the most excited intro I've had. (laughs) Well, it should be. I'm excited to talk to you. I mean, it's not every day I get to talk to a penguin expert. And these days, who doesn't love penguins? So if you go to a zoo or aquarium, any zoo anywhere, even if the zoo doesn't even have penguins or the aquarium doesn't even have penguins, they have in their gift shop little plush penguins. And the kids always want those penguins. And the adults sometimes, too. What is it about penguins, do you think? I'm telling you, people are are crazy for penguins. I think, you know, they're just adorable. I think because they stand upright, maybe like humans do, we feel this connection to them. Um, so, yeah, they're just adults love them. Kids love them. I can't even tell you on some of these Facebook pages that I'm on was, you know, I love penguins. <laughs> like people are really kind of over the top about them. Holy penguin. Uh, So let's talk a little bit about penguins and why we are talking about penguins. The book is about, and I want to broaden this eventually and talk more about penguins, and why in Chicago, where we really don't have a lot of penguins swimming out on Lake Michigan, but why we should care even here about Mm -hmm. penguins. But I want to talk about this unique trip you took to South Africa and why that happened and what motivated you to write this book in the first place? Mm. Well, I have to tell you, after this experience that we're going to talk about, I couldn't not write the book because it was such a powerful, incredible rescue. Um, And so I just felt compelled that I had to share this story with the world. And luckily, Simon & Schuster's Free Press agreed with me. um, And it was published in October of 2010 on the 10-year anniversary of the treasure oil spill in Cape Town, South Africa. All right. So you had an oil spill, which impacted mm-hmm. not just hundreds of penguins, but Mm-mm. thousands and thousands. Tens of thousands. Yeah, there were 40,000 penguins in the path of this oil spill, and half of them, 20,000 of those African penguins, were actually covered with oil. They ended up swimming through that oil slick. Um, you know, penguins don't have the ability to evade an oil slick on the surface of the ocean by flying over it. You know, their flight was birds, so they end up swimming through it. Um, and then another 20,000 penguins were rescued from their breeding island just before the oil spill hit there, and they were transported 800 miles up the coast and released into clean waters there. And the rescuers at that point just sort of crossed their fingers and hoped that they would make it back to their breeding islands and that the oil slick would be cleaned up by the time that they did. And luckily, it, it just sort of by the hair of their chinny-chin-chin, it was. Now, world's experts on penguins were called in to help with the movement of the penguins, the rehabilitation of other penguins. You are one of those experts. What makes you a penguin expert? <laughs> so at the time, uh, yeah, I was a member of the first team of penguin experts to fly to Cape Town from the United States. There were eight of us from various zoos and aquariums in the United States. At the time, I was working at Boston's New England Aquarium. I was a penguin aquarist there. I think I had been staff at that point for three years, and prior to that, I had been an intern and a volunteer for another two. Um, And so there were only three staff members in our department, and two of us, we got a phone call, 
uh, one day in a penguin office that this ship had sunk and they needed people that had really hands-on experience both working with African penguins and training and managing and supervising volunteers because they had all these volunteers showing up from Cape Town to help, but none of them had any experience doing anything like this. So we were on a plane two days later, and um, and when we arrived in Cape Town, you know, we first walked into this massive warehouse that had been sort of transformed into a huge penguin rescue center in three days time and there were 16,000 of the 20,000 oil penguins in that one building and I can tell you walking into that warehouse for the first time was one of the most overwhelming moments I've ever experienced just to see 16,000 penguins covered with oil and standing in these holding pens just statue still because they were in such a state of shock and they were silent. Yeah, the thing is that they were silent, and I want to talk mm-hmm. about why. That would, would not normally be the case, and I also will ask you right now about the other factor, and that was the smell. <laughs> can you still, if yeah. you think about it, close your eyes right now, nah. and if you think about it, can <laughs> you actually still, in your mind, smell how overwhelming You describe in the book the great Penguin Rescue, how overwhelming that smell was. It it was so, like, if you've ever been to a pig farm, it was very much like that. So if any of your listeners have ever been to a pig farm, it was a very similar, pungent, overwhelming stench. And it literally just sort of, it it went into your pores, it it went into your hair. At the end of every day when I would get into the shower and the, the hot water, would hit my hair, all that odor would come out of my hair and fill the shower stall with that stench. And it was so bad. It was a combination of the penguin guano, their poo, which is highly acidic, the sardines that were being fed to them, the coal dust that was in this warehouse because it normally had um, coal transport trains in it, uh, the human sweat, the food being fed to the volunteers. It was just this combination that was so horrendous that I literally would have to breathe through my mouth for the first hour and a half every day because if I breathe through my nose, I would literally start to gag. The Great Penguin Rescue is the name of the book. Diane Dinopoli is here. And we left off with you sniffing penguins, Diane. Mm. <laughs> yes. Uh, okay, so you walk into this place, there's an enormous number of penguins, and you also mentioned that they're silent. And here's something I happen to know about South African penguins. They are not typically silent. In fact, oftentimes their name is not South African penguin. They are oftentimes called, and I th- I think I can say this, the jackass <laughs> penguin, because that's exactly what they sound like, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, they do. They sound, yeah, when visitors would come into the aquarium sometimes, you know, they'd look very confused because they walk in and it sounds like there's donkeys or jackasses braying. And they're looking around, what's going on? And it's the jackass, it's the African penguin. And they're very vocal about expressing their point. They could host a talk show, I believe. So I think they could. Yeah, so you've got these guys that are incredibly silent. So you knew right off that there was a reason for that. I imagine it was stress. Yeah, they they were traumatized. You know, they had just been, they're covered with oil. 
They haven't been able to go back into the ocean to hunt for food because the, without with that oil on their feathers, they have no protection from the cold water. It silks down to their skin because their feathers get clumped up from the oil. So they're hungry. They're stressed. They're trying desperately to clean this oil off of their feathers, and they use their beaks to preen their feathers. But, of course, it's not coming off, and they're ingesting it, and it's toxic, and it's caustic, and... So they're sick, they're stressed, and now they've also just been yanked out of their nest by these big humans and thrown into these holding pens in this massive building. There's about 125 penguins in each of these round kiddie pools. They are, they're dry. They're not filled with water, but that's just their holding pen. And so they've probably been separated from their mate at this point. And so one of the things in my mind that was so surprising about the silence is that one of the reasons these penguin colonies in the wild are so loud and noisy is that the penguins, for the most part, recognize each other through the sound of their partner's voice. The parents, the chicks, the partners recognize each other through their unique vocalizations. And so normally, if you've got a mated pair separated from each other, they're going to be calling out, looking for each other. But that was not happening at all. I think the whole time I was there, I was there for three weeks, I think I heard two little plaintive, you know, oh, like a little call. And that was it. So it was really, really clear to me that, you know, they're in this very stressful situation, a very unnatural situation to them. And they're still, you know, you can't clean every penguin on day number one. It took two months to clean all those penguins. How, so how do you clean? in a pretty... Is it, hmm? is it dawn? Is that what you use? Ah. Everybody asked that, and now they do use John in Cape Town, South Africa, at San Cobb, which is the premier rescue center there that was sort of overseeing this whole rescue. Uh, but at that time, they didn't have access to Dawn. So there was really? another similar household product called LDC, Light Duty Concentrate, made by this company, GNLD, and they donated 7,700 liters of this dishwashing soap, essentially, and that's what was used to clean all these oiled penguins. How many penguins were you able to save? Ah, this is the thing that's so incredible. So this was the largest, not only the largest penguin rescue ever attempted, but the largest animal rescue of any species ever attempted. And it was also the most successful. And so of those 20,000 penguins that were oiled, 91% of them were successfully rehabilitated and released back into the wild, which is miraculous yes you know even in smaller oil spills you'd have a they'd have lower percentage rate of success and i think it was i know it was because of these incredible twelve and a half thousand volunteers who came to help us they were completely inexperienced they didn't have to be there this wasn't their job there were only 110 experts like myself who came and staggered shifts over the two months of this rescue the first two months of the three um so really, the success rate is a tribute to the dedication and the heart of all those amazing volunteers, because we couldn't have done it. We could not have saved those penguins without them. All right. So, uh, and that's incredible. You know, when we mm-hmm. think of penguins, we think primarily of Antarctica. Uh, and mm-hmm. to my count, of all the penguin species, and you're the expert here, there's the king, the emperor, I think the ideal penguin lives there too i may be mistaken uh, but 
that's it. The other penguins are found in other places all over the world. Maybe I'm missing a species, but they're not. You're close. Yeah, okay, so fill in for me. Sure. So there's actually four of the, depending on what scientists you talk to, <laughs> 17 to 19 species. Most will say 18, um, but there's four of them that live and breed in Antarctica, and that's the emperor, which is the largest, the most sort of iconic species. That's the penguin that was in that wonderful documentary, March of the Penguins. Uh-huh. Then you've got the chinstrap penguin and the Adelie penguin and the gentoo penguin. I miss the gentoo. What's the wrong gentoo. with me? Oh, <laughs> uh, but and then the kings. The kings are nearby. They're mostly in South Georgia and the Falklands. Well, that's so close they're, enough. They're not on Antarctica, but they're not too far away. But there are penguins in New Zealand. There are penguins in obviously mm-hmm. South Africa, where you were. There are penguins in the Galapagos Islands that are indigenous mm. only to the Galapagos, like the other species there. So they're found all over the world. We live in Chicago or the Chicago area. No penguins, by the way, in Lake Michigan. But why should it matter that? Oh, I have a question here that's an easy one for you. Are penguins found only in the Southern Hemisphere? Ah, well, that you were just saying, yes. Yeah. So yeah. penguins are exclusively in the Southern Hemisphere with a teeny tiny minor exception that I don't always talk about. Um, there are a handful of Galapagos penguins that nest just above the equator on Isabella Island. Oh, but they're cheating. They're cheating. Yes. They're cheaters. <laughs> All right, so uh, I just wanted to answer that question from a listener. I have another question here, again, real fast, because I don't want to run out of time. Why are they black and white? Oh, They want to know, this listener says, I want to know if it's a New York thing. I don't even know if you get that. Isn't that reference funny? They're referring to New York cookies that are called the black and white. But why are they black and white? So that is called that black and white coloring is called counter shading. And so they have a dark back and a light belly. And this is to provide some sort of camouflage when they're swimming in the ocean. So they're swimming along and they're in a prone position. The you know belly pointed down, the back is facing up. And say there's a hungry orca looking for something to eat and he's swimming along above the penguin. When he looks down on that dark back, that dark back blends in with a dark ocean floor below. And if that orca is below the penguin and he looks up, the white belly blends in with either the ice above or the sunlight coming to the surface. But I'll point out that when you look at most ocean animals, they all have that counter shading. So fish have it and sea turtles have it and orcas have it, sharks have it, whales have it. They all have that counter shading. Okay, so why should we care? We have less than a minute. Why should we care about penguins in Chicago? Okay, so penguins are an indicator species. They're sort of near the top of the food chain, and so they are telling us that their populations are crashing, which more than half of their species are crashing precipitously, their populations. Yes. That is when indicator species, their population is crashing, that is letting us know that there's a problem in the environment they live in. So that is a bigger problem than just the penguins. It's affecting every animal in the ocean. And, you know, we're, we're seeing that even edible seafood may be out, completely outfished in about 10 years. So it, it can impact humans ultimately as well. So we really should be doing what we can to protect the environment and to protect the, the animals that live in it. The Great Penguin Rescue, Diane DiNapoli, thank you so much. Uh, I am so excited. I get to talk to a penguin expert. Happy New Year to you and all the penguins. Thank you so much. Happy New Year to you, too.